Yes. Ooh, wow. Eric, that is loud, and I love it. It gives me a lot of power. It's all about the power, isn't it? <laughs> Nobody found that funny. That was a joke. Thank you. Thank you. So if you can, come on up. We've got, um, we're going to get started with a little activity. We're looking at Ephesians 5 today, and my name is Gina Mayo, and I'm so glad that you're here. I also printed out scripture, and it's the same scripture, two different versions, the message and ESV, because I can never get enough Bible. In fact, a little joke, I tell my son he knows this is coming. I love to collect different versions of the Bible, which thrills my husband to no end, and I have a whole shelf with different versions. So when my son brings home that special girl, which, dear, is your favorite version? Which is your favorite chapter and verse? And let's talk about it. Sit down, please. And my son knows it's coming, so uh, he knows what I expect him to bring home. We want to say thank you on behalf of L.J. Jaworski and Nan Clark. Thank you so much. Um, I have to tell you that I, I've taught, I worked in urban youth. I taught high school for 20 years. For the last nine, I was with a church partner, Chat, worked with urban youth. So I'm very used to being prepared when you go to teach, almost go to battle, if you know what I mean. You know, when you're with urban youth, any high school students, right, like any students, but particularly urban youth, and I kind of came in with that same, that same mindset here at 3rd, and um, you all have been so loving and so generous and so kind, and thank you. Um, on behalf of all three of us, we really want to say thanks, because this will end. The last Sunday that we're going to be teaching this class is December 2nd. And we will not have class the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I at least will be gone. I don't know about Nan and LJ, but so that's coming. So as we're getting ready to wrap it up, the last Sunday, December 2nd, will be dedicated completely to answering your questions. The ones that you asked at the beginning that, were, that we believe we've answered. Nan's been looking over them, a lot of them. But perhaps you have more questions. And I thought on the table, were we going to have, I think I was going to bring notes and I did not. So, LJ, is there any, there's no scrap paper down here anywhere, is there? LJ's going to look around for paper. Um, I also, at the end, have our emails. And I'm so sorry that I just now remembered that I was supposed to bring, um, what are they called? Note cards. Um, that was my job. <laughs> I, remembered my, um, I remembered my PowerPoint for today. And we would like for you any questions. There's no question that's that's off the table, anything you want. And that's what we're going to kind of gear December 2nd around. So it could be anything from scripture we've forgotten to your interpretation of scripture to other people that you've read to anything. Um, and is this me? Is, am I doing it? I'm sorry. Okay, so that's coming up. So now I want you to do a little think, pair, share, and you might need to go beyond the table because I don't want you to be paired with your spouse. Okay, your favorite television couple. And I'm not looking for highfalutin PBS, although it could be Downton Abbey, I don't know. I'm looking for as, as lowbrow as Fred and Betty Flintstone. Wasn't it Fred and Betty? Flintstone. So spend just a few minutes. Please, Wilma. It was Wilma and Fred. It was Wilma. It was Wilma. Fred, and, that's right. So, so introduce yourself to someone, please share, and then your favorite television couple for me. You can move around if you need to. And why? Don't forget the NY part. 
so good to see you. What's up? That's my favorite. I had this English teacher, Ann Partlow. She was at... Uh, Started off in Annandale, then she went to Hayfield, and then she went, then she finished up at Lake Braddock. Like, hey, hey, I've got to know her pretty well. I dated her niece. There you go, teach. Another day, another hey. Now that Billy Harper has made me laugh, <laughs> always. Did everyone get to talk about their favorite couple and why? Did anyone mention the Waltons? Yes. I couldn't remember their names, and I couldn't find a picture of the parents, just the parents, but I thought this was better. Oh, yes. Yeah, those are their actual names, but what were their character names? John and Libby. That's right. Livy. Livy. Yes. I could not remember for the life of me, and then I went on to study the scripture, so I thought this was not worth Googling so quickly. And then the grandparents. I think I loved the Waltons so much because they reminded me of my own grandparents who lived in the country. And I actually have a picture that I didn't get scanned of my grandparents looking a lot. They're in front of the same kind of truck that they drove. Um, I come from mountain people on both sides and poor mountain people. So um, only one of my grandparents went to, graduated from high school. The women only went to the eighth grade, and my other grandfather just went to the eighth grade. So it's interesting. Um, anyway, I love that show. We can, it's still on. You can find it some places. So today we are looking at husbands and wives. Um, it's Ephesians 5, and that's what we're going to settle into. If you're not married or not currently married, that's okay. How I'm going to present it, you're, you're still valid here. But, but it is about husbands and wives because, again, the whole theme of this whole series is women, the church, and the Bible. So today we're looking at wives. So let's pray. Dear God, um, I thank you for amazing examples, um, good and bad, that you give us in culture. I thank you for the examples of our own family, of our own parents, of our grandparents, God. I thank you that you are alive and well today um, in each of us as Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be with, be with us today. In your name we pray and everyone said, amen. And Eric, I'm sure I have it on wrong, making it pop. I'm sorry. So real quick, because I think it's really important, I'm going to scoot it out. Is that any better? My, my bet it is. Um, just my biblical hermeneutics, because I think it's good to understand how we got to where we get to. Um, answer A, the, the scripture is what it is, means what it says. It's always my default. Then I pretty much go, well, this makes no sense to me. So then I go through a lot of the times. So then I look at the context, where it falls in the chapter, historical context. I go back to the Greek, because you don't need to actually study Greek, the, the um, Internet is amazing. There's some great websites you can go and you can look at it. Um, the genre, how the passage sits, all those things. Because the Bible was written for us, but not necessarily to us. And then Scripture interprets Scripture. And my lens for viewing it all is Genesis 1 and 2, pre-fall. What did God mean for us to be about as men and women? And then if there's humor, I want to find it, always. That's just, if it's not there, I want to add it to it. So there we go. Fair warning. So the book of Ephesians, which is what we're looking at today, it's mentioned about 20 times in the New Testament. It's very interesting how it fits in. Um, it's associated with Apollos, disciples of John the Baptist. I didn't realize that. And Priscilla and Aquila, my favorite couple. One of seven churches mentioned in Revelation and mentioned in a positive way. And then likely an encyclical letter, which means that it was passed around. It wasn't just meant from one person maybe to another. You, 
maybe in Timothy, we think some of that, this was a letter to be read by a lot of people, perhaps not just in Ephesus. So it had more than just um, one. Uh, when it was written, it was written for a greater purpose. The main theme, according to the NRSV, because again, I like to have all these different versions, God's plan to reconcile Jews and Gentiles accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the church with Christ as its source is a crucial part of this plan. Um, because I keep notes in my Bible, Corey Widmer said at some point in the times I've heard him preach that the best thinking about the church is found in the book of Ephesians, and that identi- identity, not identify, identity formation of the first church is a lot of what Corey thinks the book of Ephesians is all about. And I, since I got this Bible here in 2011, take notes in it and like circle things as people preach, and I write the name of who preached and the date that I heard it. I don't know why I started doing that, but I have. It's been preached by my count at least 12 times at third since 2011. Different passages of it, which means I've missed some. So that's a lot of preaching. There are, there are books in my Bible, 2011, that have no notes, no third name. <laughs> so um, it's, been, it's integral to who we are. So the context, the historical context, because text without context is pretext. Thank you, Corey Widmer. Greco-Roman society, social conventions of that time, again, called for subordination of wives to their husbands. Wives were usually younger than the very older men, um, less or no education, and wives or women were things. Romantic love is rarely mentioned in non-Christian writings about marriage. I can't tell you when I found this, where I found it, quote, I think online. But how many rabbis ever said that a man should love his wife as Yahweh loved Israel? That just was not said. So the modern day, I think 20th century modern day love, romantic love, is something we can read back into scripture. It's not there in that time. Unheard of. Aristotle's politics argued that the domination of males over females ensures a properly functioning household and ultimately a very efficient state. Households were equally places of family life and places of work which I would like to say that that lasted for a long time into modernity. My grandparents, and I wish I could find this picture of my um, grandmother, my grandfather, my grandfather that stayed at home and worked a small-time farmer who would drive his stuff into Atlanta, downtown Atlanta, to to sell it at a farmer's market. And then he was a Baptist preacher on the Sundays to make some extra money. My grandmother was integral. If she had died, he remarried fast because who was going to, Um, work the fields with him, who is going to gather all the produce, can it all summer, make all the clothes that the five kids wore. They were integral partners together. The household was their place of work. And it's only been um, my parents and mine that for a lot of us, especially if you were raised lower, poor, like my grandparents were, it's only later that we've separated those things very much, at least in our minds. Household code lists were common and gave unilateral control to men. So there were these household codes that existed in Greco-Roman times. That's what they were called. And all people, with apparent exception of Jews, were expected to acknowledge the Roman emperor as God. So that's the context. Isn't that interesting? Ephesus was a difficult city to preach and work. It was the center of worship for the goddess Artemis. And if you look very closely, she has multiple boobs for some reason. (laughs) Um, 
Temple in Ephesus was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I just want to say thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity to really get deep into this stuff. It's been so much fun. And I had no idea. So it apparently was an amazingly beautiful place, and women were a big part of temple worship. But again, they were still things. So what I want to do is to look at the context. Ephesus, um, Ephesus, Ephesians 5 is so beautiful, and it's so much scripture that I had it printed this time for you. And if you don't have any copies, um, Nan or LJ, we have some more up here at this table where no one wanted to sit. Made me sad. But LJ will pass them out, so if you want a copy, there's enough. We did put more on the back table. So what I'm going to ask you to do when we're done reading the first part until we get to 21 is we're going to read it, and I'm going to have you break up and just share things that struck you as we read it. So just be prepared for that. Watch what God does, and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, or bullying greed. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, those who follow Jesus have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. You can be sure that using people or religion or things just for what you can get out of them, the usual variations on idolatry, will get you nowhere, and certainly nowhere near the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. Don't let yourself get taken in by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk but want nothing to do with him. Don't even hang around people like that. You groped your way through that murk once but no longer. You're out in the open now. The bright light of Christ makes your way plain. So no more stumbling around. Get on with it. The good, the right, the true, these are the actions appropriate for daylight hours. Figure out what will please Christ and then do it. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. That's a visual. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times, my bold. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God, huge drops of him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God, the Father, in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. If you could just think, pair, share, again, hopefully with someone who's not your spouse. (laughs) Someone new. Introduce yourself. What struck you? A few things for me, if you can. There is no right or wrong answer.
This is what I love about third. You all are taking this so seriously. That's the sense I get in the room. Can we come up with a quick thought? One more minute? I know that's not enough time. Just one more. So can you tell me things that struck you? Would someone share? And this isn't, I'm, I know it's third. Where we must all be very, you know, profound. But I'm, I'm looking for simple here, okay? So just simple things that, that struck you about that. It's also the message version. Eugene Peterson did die. This past week or two weeks ago, I believe, and I referenced that. I, I happened to read in preparing for one of my other talks hear that he was under hospice care. So he's been on my heart, and I love the message because he often um, just states things in a way that makes sense to me. So he went on to be with the Lord, which is a great gift to heaven. Um, he was the translator of the message version. So anything, quickly. Yes, thank you. And that's why I put the ESV on the back. That's a much more literal version on a, on a continuum. So I thought it'd be nice to compare those two. Yes, sir. And Yes. And if you haven't been to service yet, there's just some amazing music today, a song to God. Thank you. Someone else in the choir? Anyone else? I love okay. Yes. Yes. And that's why we should not do it today. I'm just easy. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really simple stuff. Don't gossip. Ooh. I call it gossiping for Jesus. <laughs> there are just some things I need to know. <laughs> it's very true. I love to know the, oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's not, we make it harder than it is. And that's why I couldn't let it go without presenting that passage because it comes out of this beautifulness of, of keeping things really simple. And then we get to a passage that for us is harder to translate because I read many commentaries and they like went all over the place. And I'm going to tell you pretty much I came up with my own stuff, kind of. I mean, I never go completely outside of the realm. But we're going to look at today Ephesians 5, 21 and 33. We are not talking about some other scripture that says very similar things. It's much shorter those are found in Colossians 3 and in 1 Peter 3, how wives and husbands should interact with each other. So that's there. So this is what the scripture says, starting with 21. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. This, again, is still the message version for me. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ did to his church not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And this is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are a part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church, and this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is... This is me and my rendition of it. But to me, this scripture, as a teacher in my heart and giftings, husbands and wives are example A. You know, you go in math, and Alexander teaches math, and they tell you about how all math's all about, and then they give you an example, a problem, a word problem of how you work it out. That, to me, is what Paul is trying to do in this scripture. He is just trying to take all that he's talked about, the beginning of chapter 5 and other places, and put it into something that the people, most of the people in the congregation would know about, husbands and wives, the business place, the workplace, the center of all activity, the households. That's what he was pressing into. Um, and to me, to fit into to my idea of this, that verse 21 is the goal of Paul's lesson. All teachers have to have a goal or nobody knows where we're going that out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. That is what he wants to show. That's what he wants to teach. 
that's everything that, that hinges on this. When he talks about children, when he talks about slaves. But he wisely does it in the context of what they know, in the context of what their world is like. To me, and words that, that the commentaries that I read use this a fair amount, mutual submission. That it's a mutual type of working together. Ephesians 5.21, it's also undergirded um, in Ephesians 4.2, 4.25, in Colossians as well. That how are we mutually working together? Different people, different giftings, husbands and wives right in the home, the thing you see every day, and how are we coming together? So the red doesn't really show up, but what I try to do is look at red as the women. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. And I've underlined there at least seven times it talks about Christ, at least in Eugene Peterson's translation. And the husband provides leadership. So as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises his leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. So throughout, um, and I'm sorry, I didn't, I'm so glad you have this scripture there. I didn't know how it would show up up here. I should have gone with a lighter red but I tried to look at the yellow as far as Christ and the church and the red wives, and I think I gave blue to the men. Christian wives in that time in 60 AD, and this is something for me, let me just go back and the church submits to Christ. It struck me as I was going through here that in 60 AD when this was written, it wasn't Christ's cross on our necks. It wasn't Christ as we know him. It was this man who once walked on the earth. If disciples of John the Baptist went there, if they met him, they knew him as a person. It was a very new religion. It's not the Christ that we speak of, you know. Um, I remember hearing Corey preach several times. No one wore a cross around their neck. That's like wearing an electric chair around your neck. We didn't do that. It was a big, it was a big deal. He was fully human, fully divine. No one understood it, and they were following him. And that's the audience that heard this the first time. So you want to show your support for this crazy, wacko thing that you believe in? Wives, your role is to, as a witness to Christ to submit. That changes the Greco-Roman understanding of women. That makes it something greater than they can ever imagine it to be. How powerful is that? Submission, it, it's just, it's amazing to me how it would be viewed. Israel does view, Israel is viewed as, as um, God's marriage partner, so this is not coming from left field for Paul. You have the whole book of Hosea, which could be read that way. It doesn't have to be. A really bad wife, but that's what Israel possibly has become. Um, Ezekiel has it, and there's several passages in, passages in Isaiah that also have the same thing. So then I want to look at the men. Wives understand Support your husbands. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. Husbands, go all out in your love, exactly as Christ did, a love marked by giving, not getting. You're making everything whole by this love, just like Christ did. You're evoking her beauty like Christ does for the church. Husbands are designed to bring out the best in their wives, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. Sounds sanctifying, doesn't it? There's some commentaries that talk about how that's um, a form of sanctification. 
as it references um, the church. They're really doing themselves a favor since you're already one in, ma in marriage. So not only are you doing this to church, you're actually getting back. You're doing yourself a favor, husband. No one abuses his own body. No, he feeds and pampers it. This is how Christ treats us. We're part of his body. And then he again references back to Gen Yep, Missy. No, no, go. <laughs> I read a ton on that, pages after pages. And yes, and I thought that Nan did a much better job last week than I can ever do when we looked at the Corinthians. And that's also one reason why I picked up on, um, I thought that Eugene Peterson did a better job with his translation than some of the other ones that do use head as far as authority. Because then you need to go into what did that mean in the headship and then the wording of it in the Greek. Well, it, then it got beyond me. And I thought that Nan talked about it last week. Do you, want, do you know something and you want to add, or are you asking me a question that I can't answer? You all don't know Missy Deridjavis, a great gal who actually works at Hamden, Sydney, and is one of the most well-read people I've ever met. <laughs> I always say that. But you want to know about a Christian book? Ask Missy, because she's probably read it and talked about it. That's true. I'm not lying. So Christian husbands to me. First, I just have to say, wow. Un unbelievable. I mean, that's a lot, cherishing, giving, evoking, dressing. Um, so it makes me, that is such a powerful, unbelievable image. Is Paul honing into example A as far as practical like he is in the beginning? Does he have that in there? But he also is doing what a good teacher does, making it greater than any one person can ever do and huge so that you're so inspired to go out and do what you can. Does that make sense? Is it meant to be a step-by-step, step, you must do this, check it off? Or is it meant to inspire and make you to be, be transformed, to be more like Christ into something greater than you can ever imagine? It's easier to have a checklist than to do that. And that's what struck me. Every day to be reminded in your daily relationships, which were very common, you know, what happened then to look and to be called to be something greater than you can ever imagine to be transformed. Very Christ-centered, very Christological imagery is what we find in this passage. Loving himself and loving her. Christ's love is what motivates the Christian husband for the good of the church. So less about the head, which is probably when I went to this missy, less to go into that. What is authority? What does head mean? Where's the authority? But this huge, much bigger vision of being transformed and also because churches existed where? In homes. The image becomes even more powerful. 
churches were in homes then, so they, so to me, and again, this is Gina Mayo, is if you're called to be this like Christ, husbands and wives together, and this is the example that you're giving, and churches also in homes, the, it's double whammy of reminding and of being an example of what Christ wants us to be, to be a living witness to, to again, Christ was still this guy that, hey, yeah, really? He walked on this earth and became a god? Because we get the gods. We get Artemis. We get this ancient wonders of the world, this amazing temple. We don't get this god that you're meeting in homes. And by the way, he was crucified and died. Yeah, right. I mean, that's crazy stuff. So it, it fits in to the Christology. It fits into the church. It fits. It's like us talking about our building and what our building looks like and what we need to renovate. To me. It's a presentation also of a radical view of, of marriage in the household codes. A radical different view while still living within the paradigm of what was going on in Greco-Roman times. So as far back as the 4th century BC, philosophers considered the household to reflect the hierarchical structure of society, the gods, and ultimately the universe. Aristotle wrote that the smallest and primary parts of the household are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. Paul is the only one, however, to give slaves, children, and wives rights when he writes about it. He's very radical in that. First century philosophers Philo and Josephus included the household codes in their writing, arguing that a man's authority over his household was critical to the success of a society. And many Roman officials believed the household codes to be so important, they passed laws ensuring its protection. And into this culture, Paul writes those words. It's beautiful. He found a way to thread that needle of speaking into the culture of not going outside it too much, but of transforming, of taking what we're to do, to look at our culture and how has God called us to transform it, to live in it because it is what it is and make it be like Christ. I, I don't know how he did it. I mean, he, he, was, he was inspired. It's amazing. Radical then and now. In every permanent relationship, someone has to assume a responsibility. However, in this passage, the one who has authority is cautioned against abusing it. And the principle of submission is out of reverence for and to being a living example of Christ's love for us. There, someone has to be in charge. What that being in charge looks like, that's the question for Christians. But there always is an authority. Again, this is the teacher in me. I always wanted to hear back from students, especially when I was working with youth, but I was in charge. Ultimately, I'm the one that makes the call. But, I, but you do it. How do you do that? It, it's a very interesting thing. And do you do that all the time? And then there are some places where I abdicated, where I did put other people in charge. When was that the right thing to do? When was it not? That's always the question. A head of school, anyone who holds too tightly to power, it just collapses all around you. And then it gets to a, um, this idea of mystery and of genesis. So, and this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. Where is that from? Genesis 2. Yep, this amazing example. It's a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. You know what? Let me turn on. I'm wondering why my speaker notes weren't there, because I don't have them turned on. Um, 
Genesis 2, 25, 24, and men and wife were both naked, and I'm not the wrong one, duh. Men, shall, men and women shall cleave together and become one flesh, Genesis. He references that, which is, this is a huge mystery. I don't pretend to understand it all. Commentators also find it a huge mystery, <laughs> what he's trying to say here. We don't know if he, a um, lot of commentators that I read, if he's speaking to something about the mystery of Christ and how he was divine and human. We don't know if he's going to that, the mystery of the church, the mystery of this new faith. We, we don't know. Or the mystery of how we become one, of how that, of how that, how we, of birth. We, we don't, they're vast. I'm not good enough to give you one definitive one. What I do know is Genesis 2.24, it's man and woman and it's Christ and believers. That could also be one thing that he's pressing in there. Is it's a mystery how the Holy Spirit comes to be in believers, how you become one. That we don't understand how that works. And the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian model, doesn't come out till later. Um, it's not actually in the New Testament text. The Holy Spirit, definitively, how that works out, something we've worked out. And so this could be part of where it goes to with the mystery of it. Did your favorite TV couple reflect anything from this passage? <laughs> okay, the Waltons did. I'm teasing. I don't know. But you know, they don't completely. I mean, I think that that in our modern age, as I move to kind of the now, What's fascinating to me is marriage is still here. It, it is being looked at very differently now. There's a lot of big issues about marriage, are there not? Is there not? A lot. And just like then, the visual images and the world that we live in bombards and, and pushes into God's understanding of marriage. And I think this scripture becomes even more powerful today even just as relevant. Yep. That very well could be the mystery, yeah, that he's, yeah, yeah. Did you all hear? Philippians 2, 5 through 8, um, in the NRSV, they make a poem. Some versions make it look like scripture, but this one they actually think was ancient, that it was recited, and when it was added in, that it goes back even farther than the letter of Philippians when it was finally written. Um, it was like our doxology or our Lord's Prayer. And so let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And found, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it's that kind of, of imagery, I think, that it's trying to get to, that kind of emptying yourself and becoming um, like Christ, who did all this even more than we can ever imagine. So as I've wrestled with this text, as I've looked at it, mutual submission, I've, all kinds of people have different opinions on it, 
I finally asked myself questions, which is the greatest and which is the hardest, to submit or to love? Because that's what you always hear, right? And my joke with my husband is always, I don't do submissive well. <laughs> I've never done submissive well. But I, I can, this passage is, is to me, which is hardest? Yeah. book that Nan loaned me as well, I've seen that several times as well, that it's looking to, um, it, it's, po it's post-Genesis 3, it's looking at when you read that through, but that since we live in a post-fall world, that would make sense. Thank you. Yep. Nan, for you. We were laughing over here because you started like this. Very Boyd Clark. <laughs> yes, sir. And put in which one? Is? Just submit is to love. You're exactly right. Just love it to submit to submit. Yeah. So I came up that, that which is greatest, which is hardest, either or. I mean, it's both and. Yeah, I like that. I would do it again next time I do it. Yes, sir. Yep.
<laughs> no, no, no. Actually, let me, let me move to this because I think what it gets to is then it was a male authority, a patriarchal society with household codes. Ephesians 5 is radical. And it was radical for men because men didn't love their wives. They didn't have no. to love their wives. Typically what they had was a wife to have children, and they played around all over the place um, for pleasure and love. Um, and so... And what I took it to, to bypass some of these questions, what I, it, now as individual society, we're me, individual authority. Don't tell me what to do. And we're just as guilty. Don't tell me what to do. We're a very individual society. I can marry whoever I want. I can find a church that fits me, my theology, right? I mean, it, it, it digs down to all of us in varying ways. It's all, yes, yes, it's very much me. And Ephesians 5 to me, yes. It's still radical, Ephesians 5. Marriage is designed, and this is one of my newly favored authors, is to transform us. But God's care of marriage also includes the possibility of our being a daily living demonstration to a watching world of a relationship of Christ to his bride, the church. So she looks at mutual submission, looks at household colds taking it. It's a vehicle through which God speaks to the world around us through our changed lives. So what I would say is taking it from the then to the now. Submission is a whole mutual submission. Love is a whole. We can get down and start checking things off, which is what I as a teacher always like to do. Or I could lean in, look at it as a giant lesson plan, even greater than just men and women. And we are still called in this day and age to be a living example. How can my marriage to Matt Mayo show to my neighbors who never go to church, who are avowed atheists, that we are different, that as Christians we interact differently? 
Is that me submitting to Matt and like him making all the decisions? I don't think so in this day and age, but someone has to be in charge and I can't be constantly battling with him over it. So what does submission look like now? It looks different than it did then. Love is still the same. Submission, am I making any sense here? It, it's we've got to work it through, yes. But, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think, I think the beauty, and I'll let Missy add, to me, as I've studied it, is someone has to always be in charge. You can't, it, it, so what does submission look like? What they, where he was living in the times was very much a one mindset framework of what the household codes is, and he's speaking radically. I think today there are multiple things. It still speaks radically. What does submission look like in your marriage? What does it look like in my marriage? Does it have to be the same, or is it there or not? Yes, it's there. What it looks like might change. I don't know if I'm finding too much in the me society or Missy. Does that make sense? But it, it has to be there because we all submit to Christ. We, have to, we all submit to something or we're not transformed. Missy, maybe. You know, and, and you know what, and I get it, and you know what, so for, for where I come from, someone, when someone's in charge, gives a willy, so I guess from where I came from as a head of school, ultimately I had to be in charge of that school. Did I do it with an iron fist and make edicts down? No, I didn't. But ultimately when times got really, so that's where I'm coming from. But you're transferring the school to your relationship. There you go. Missy?
And that's, I think that's why I was trying to go to this, that I think that's both is. Yes, sir. I, I, we have, yep, it's 11, this, well this is actually my last slide before asking questions, which is a lot. So, um, but we have a little more time. I, 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 it seems I've generated more questions than finality, which is good. Um, it's a beautiful passage that actually was very inspiring to me as I read through it. Inspiring me as a wife, inspiring to me as a woman of faith, inspiring to me as an example to be lived out in this world. How do I embody the scripture? How do I understand it then? How do I embody it now in a me society where anything goes? I probably left you, I think, more hanging than giving you actual things. That's not a bad place to live. So, so if we're not looking at one set code, which is very patriarchal, which is very male-dominated, we're looking at me, an individual, does this still work, Radi Ephesians 5? To me, it's just as radical, the, the framework. Did you want to add?
Brother Armistead. And yes, and then, sorry, yes. Hmm. Can you all hear Brother Armistead? Because he spent a lot of time in Pakistan. modern culture, uh, it helped me to see some of the Western blind spots um, just because I was so immersed in it for so long. So I think the society of that day was very similar to what we observed where wives would walk behind their husbands down the road when you went out, but most of the women didn't go out anyway. Um, but their, their framework for seeing things was very authoritarian and very aware of the fact that Allah made men different from women, and women had certain functions, and men had certain functions. And they received that um, as nature was given. They received the world, you bow before Allah. So here it's so radically different, where we are, we have trouble even with the posture of receptivity of our bodies, of our genders, and I think that's sort of blended with this Gnostic idea that's in evangelicalism, that we are really just image bearers of God who happen to be in male or female bodies. And then our radical egalitarianism, which has great trouble with any authoritarian structure. Mm -hmm. So when I critique Western society, I, I tend to think about those concepts. And I'm not sure how it all applies to this, mm -hmm. but I think it does apply. Yeah, I think it's a continual discussion. And you had your hand up several times, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. it's, it comes before the other mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. um, and at the very beginning of the passage, mm -hmm. imitators of God. Mm -hmm. So putting others over self mm -hmm. is kind of the setup of the whole passage. Mm -hmm. And then verse 21, submitting to one another mm -hmm. comes first. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the goal. To me, I feel it was like the goal that's statement. really yeah. important here in this to discussion. To submit is to love. To love is to submit. It goes back and forth. It's a complicated issue, and I think it's because we as a culture are in a state of flux with who has authority. It's coming out of enlightenment. Marriage is being bombarded. I don't think this should be the last time we discuss it respectfully and hear different sides because it is at the forefront and because what I read into it, the teacher that I am, which is why I kept going back to that, it is a lesson plan. It is a, a model that we can present to the world as Christians, and it, there's no easy answer. It might change the household cults for each of us, but it's crucial and important and vital. And this passage is one that we can step into even more to go through and should be in conversation, I think continued conversation about it, so that we are constantly honing ourselves um, and becoming better than we can ever imagine and being transformed. And I don't think that happens living in a vacuum. Yes, Brother I Mitchell. think one thing may be to just further discuss this would be to say, hey, what are the major fears behind both problems? You know, because the, the reason we all react this way is because we are afraid. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I would assume that men are afraid to take responsibility sometimes because they don't want to fail. Whereas women would say, I don't want to submit because I don't, I'm, I've been injured or damaged by some guy before. And so it's kind of a strange, I, I think without getting, in, if we have to get back to Genesis, we have to look about fear, guilt, and shame. 
and say how those things are all affecting what our mindsets are, why do we think the way we do on these things? Because I think fear is kind of some, something that's, that's running behind all this. Well, if I submit to a man, what is he going to do to me? Submit to a husband. So the key thing about this test well, yeah, is okay. husband and wife. Even, yeah. even a husband. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it's 12.05. It's not 12.05. It was 12.05 yesterday. Yes. Today it's 11.05. Um, again, it has been a great um, relationship. There are two commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, the greatest commandments. And that's, that's what Jesus calls us back to do. Questions. I can tell we can spend more time in this passage and others. That's coming up, and I know we probably didn't find we didn't find it. We did have some paper. This is the kind of things we would love to. We're looking at very different ways to go into it. But December second is all more questions. And if you also want to email, and I don't know why Nan Clark showed up in color. I'm sorry for that. We are happy to continue these conversations. Sometimes it's easier one on one than it is in a large group. Um, So let's let's end in prayer. Dear God, um, I thank you for Ephesians 5. I thank you for the gift that you gave us of man and women together, of the mystery that is Genesis 1 and 2 and how you created us in your image. I thank you for each of the people that you brought here today, God. May we go and grow in you. In your name we pray. Amen.